Hey there, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Brooks. Join me as I sit down with co-hosts, friends, and carefully curated guests as we talk about all the things that empower you to become your best, most confident self so you can step boldly into who you were created to be, the confident woman. Let's go. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. Today, we have with us Amber Ginter. Amber is an author and teacher who has worked with hundreds of students, seeing firsthand the tsunami of mental health issues they face. She has a passionate desire to help Jesus through her writing, aesthetics, and volunteer roles. Amber and I actually met casually through email, and I have been so impressed with her work that she is an up-and-coming author, and her work is so needed and incredibly needed at this time during our situations of what these past several years have have really taught us. And I'm just excited to jump into today's conversation to learn more about Amber and and more about her book and what kind of got her started in this. Obviously, you know, with these past few years, it has taken a toll on all of our mental health and well-being. So we're going to dive in and to discuss further at great lengths about the importance of it and really having a, a solid foundation and how we can really fully embrace who we are and learning to help minimize that that noise that a lot of us kind of go through in our in our mental and emotional well-being. So welcome Amber. Hi, thank you so much for having me Rachel. Yes, uh, I'm so very excited. Yes, and and I'm excited to to really just kind of learn more about you and and your processes and all the all the amazing work that you have put out there and continue to do, um, you know, through your own expertise with your writing and your research. And then obviously with your, uh, you have a podcast as well with some of the content that you share. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and kind of the work that you, you have uh, put out there? Absolutely. So as Rachel said, my name is Amber Ginter. I am from Ohio. So if you are a fan of cornfields across the street. That's where I am. But I love it. I have lived here my entire life. I am 26 years old. Currently, I am a high school English teacher, but I have a passionate desire, as she said, uh, to really just change the world for Jesus. And the best way that I can do that is through my writing. So I have been writing since I was a little girl. But I have been published since probably the age of 18. I write for a lot of different online Christian websites. Over the years, I've written for dozens of them. From the college I went to, which was Ohio Christian University, to currently I write for I Believe, which is kind of a women's uh, devotional-esque of all sorts of different topics like faith and mental health. Uh, I'm currently, though, in the author conservatory program, which is where I am writing the book that Rachel mentioned, uh, which is going to be Mental Health in the Modern Day Church for Young Adults. Amazing. And that that is the title of it? That's Yes, that's like the before the colon. <laughs> so it's Mental Health in the Modern Day Church for specifically for young adults. Right before we got started, you know, your work is, um, you know, geared towards those that that you you got to witness this firsthand. You know, being as a teacher and and witnessing this throughout the pandemic. And I'm just curious to know, like, what you know, aside from your your experience in the field, what has kind of transpired in your life that that led you down that path to really one into the teaching uh, career, as well as just now embracing the mental health and and being an advocate, obviously uh, for the betterment, and then 
you know, being likewise with a faith-based woman to woman, um, how that kind of transpired in your life. Absolutely. So I would say when I was a small child, I never envisioned myself doing what I do today. I remember my grandma had this little picture on the like on her fridge of when I was probably like five and it was like things Amber wants to be when she grows up. And I remember I drew a little like stick figure of uh, a veterinarian and there was like a pet shop owner. And then there was one, one of them I did write teacher, which I don't remember doing, but I was totally set on being a veterinarian up until I believe I was like 14, 15. I took an animal science class. I was absolutely obsessed with animals, worked for like the Humane Society of the United States, and I was just crazy. But slowly over time, God really began to kind of pry that from my fingers and really was like, hey, like all this stuff you do for animals is what you should be doing for me. And it became really clear to me, like I was in the journalism class and did a lot of writing. And so it was like, yeah, like why don't you just write about me? And so from that time, it kind of switched to, all right, at 14, like I am called to be an author. That's what I want to do. And so I went to college. And of course, my parents were very supportive and loving, but they were also like, you can't just be a writer. That's not going to be substantial. And so uh, I went into education because I felt that that would be the way that I could learn the most about the audience that I wanted to reach while also supporting myself while getting to a place where I can write full time. Yeah. And that's incredible. You know, how many of us actually write down what we want to be in life and actually (laughs) live that out. Right. I think, I think even for myself, I had quite a few, you know, things on my list and, uh, and, and funny, I, I actually, probably the last thing I wrote on my list was to be an entrepreneur. And that was two weeks before I started college. And, uh, you know, it's funny how you go back and come full circle. You're like, wow. So apparently I kind of knew what I wanted to be, but yet whole different path and different trajectory, but yet it, it all kind of seems to tie in that it comes from a place of service. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, as, as we look at our career paths and even from, you know, small child to young adult to adulthood, or even just embarking on, you know, your college career or your first professional career, it, it starts to, to be this pattern that it's a, from a place of service, because I think if we're all in, in some sort of occupation, it's not about us. It's, it becomes about the next person or the corporation, which has their mission. And, and it's, it comes from a place of love intention, and and service. So very faith-based oriented. And I, and I pick that up in, in what you do as well. Um, so can you share a little bit more about how you also tie in your, your faith and, and your calling and your works into your everyday life, obviously into the teaching aspect and then into your, your writing and your, the, the works that you put out? Absolutely. I think that that's something that I've definitely grown and matured in over the years. I remember when I did my student teaching and I first started teaching and oh my gosh, it was like pulling teeth where I just like did not want to go to work because it was so exhausting. And I will be honest, like it is still exhausting. Like I just got off work and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to go back to work tomorrow? I think that every day and every year presents new challenges depending on the kids that you have in the school that you're at. And really though, the last two years specifically, God has just really shifted this perspective in my brain to, okay, Amber, when you go to work, that is your opportunity to get these kids saved. And I want to make it clear, like I teach at a public school Um, and I always tell my fiance, like if I get fired someday, 
like, because of me saying something about God, like, all right, like that's, that's what's going to happen. And I will know that I did what I was supposed to do. I don't ever force it down their throat, but I think every single kid at that school who's ever has had me would know that I'm a Christian. Not necessarily do I, you know, always blatantly say that, but just the way that you treat people, the way that you serve people. Um, I also really think having that drive when I go to work, even when I am exhausted and even when I really don't want to go face the kid in my fifth period for like the third time that week, coming from that place of servanthood and coming from that place of love of knowing like, okay, like I am the only Jesus that they may meet for the rest of their life. And really just seeing that perspective of how can I get these kids saved has radically transformed why I do what I do. And I know that so many people are not in the field of education and they've been like, I have personally been told by multiple people, like, this is not a good field. Like you've got to get out of education. And I will be honest that I do want to get out of education because I want to write full time. But I know that while I'm in this process, God is teaching me so many things every single year. There is always a kid that I will just know, like, I will just know that God puts their finger on them. And I'm like, all right, that's who I'm here for this year and countless times. So this will be the third year it's happened. There has been like one kid each year that God's like, that's who you're there for. And by the end of the year, they usually end up reaching out and they're like, Hey, like, I just want you to know that you've really changed my view on Christianity and religion. And like, can you help me with how to find a church? Can you tell me who God is? Can you just like, crazy things to come out of a public school that I have never had happen um, until I really started reorient, reorienting that that shift. Right. And I, and I love that because it's like you, you get to be the model, right? So it, in our, in our faith, it's, we become the example, right? We're to live and honor God and love others. We become that role model and that mentor. And so, like you said, that may be the only first and only introduction to to Jesus if if that kid is not uh you know privy to that elsewhere and you are living a Christ-like life and that becomes the embodiment of of what the faith is about. And so I'm curious to know when what what grade is it that you teach? I teach 10th grade English. Grade. Okay, so I'm I'm curious to know also how does is there kind of like a a, a line with bringing in faith or religion? In that sense, into the school place, have, has that been any sort of a conflict? Or um, I'm just curious to know your your approach on that because I know that there has been so many like there's those lines in the sand like that we can't cross, mm-hmm. right? So I'm curious yeah, to know yeah. how you navigate that in a, in a way that is respectful for the students as well as respectful for yourself because the obviously the faith isn't about pushing and for those who are listening who may have not encountered you know christianity um you know and in a whole christianity isn't a religion it's a relationship and so it's a faith-based relationship that you have with jesus christ um and so those listening it's not indoctrined religion there's it's not rules and 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 laws and all the things that you have to feel like you have to check the boxes to become you know uh you know into the family more or less so i'd love to hear your perspective on that as well i think that's the beautiful thing about christianity i just love that you said it's it's not really about religion it's it's about relationship and that goes back to when you look at christianity the whole reason that jesus came it says that Jesus came not to 
uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I think that so many people get stuck in like, well, this is just like all the other religions. Like there's all these things I need to do and it has to be this way and all my boxes have to be checked. And I think that first off seeing it as a relationship, but in regards to how I address that in a public school, when they hired me, um, I came from a, uh, I came from a private school. And so I was already working at a Christian environment. And so when I switched over, I remember the person that hired me was like, okay, now you understand that this is like public school. Right. And I was like, yeah, like I understand. I fully consent that like I'm going into a public school, but I'm not going to change who I am. And so hold on one moment. My dog is being a little bit obnoxious and you can probably hear that. Yeah, no, but the, this is all part of the live live podcasting, right? I mean, things happen and we've all been at home for uh, several, actually going on several years now, it feels like. And so this is just the realness of what happens when we uh, do podcasting and we are everywhere in the world. Like we're tapping into different countries, different cities, different connections. And, you know, sometimes just the reality is it that we got dogs barking, we got doorbells ringing, we got life happening. And that's the, that's the realness that this podcast brings. So no worries on, on the dog. And uh, so, yeah, carry on with that. Yes. He is, for those of you who won't see the video, he's now joining the session. So um, I think that, you know, when they hired me, they said that, okay, this is public school. Do you fully acknowledge? So for my personal experience, this is how I handle faith in a classroom is uh, the first day of school, I do a PowerPoint to introduce who I am. And I just blatantly say like, my name is, and then I tell them the, the story that I grew up in. And I say, like, I'm a Christian. Like I say that day one, um, from there on out, the materials that I teach, I thankfully, like this kind of just happened. The content for sophomore year is very like faith based. So I teach night by Ellie Wazell, which is about the Holocaust. And he believed in Jewish mysticism. And so I do a huge, like compare and contrast uh, of different religions around the world and how faith, no matter what type of faith you have, can get you through a situation. Um, I teach To Kill a Mockingbird, which is all about racial segregation. And so there's a ton of like religious undertones in that. Um, and so I'm just really blessed with the content I teach. But I think going back to where you said that it's about relationship, not religion, that's really how I try to present Christianity in a public school is just being who I am and being the way that I think that Christ calls us to be and just like acting in that kind of mannerisms and, and saying like, Hey, like, yeah, like when we talk about Jewish mysticism, I'll say, well, I'm a Christian. So like, here's what I believe, but like, you're entitled to your own opinion and I'm not going to tell you what you should or should not like do. And I think it also helps that I run like the Bible study FCS group at the college or at the college at the high school. And, um, so they all kind of like get to know over the years, like who you are and what you're made of. And I think to anybody that is in that situation, like I would just encourage them, you know, you don't have to push the boundary. You don't have to necessarily like do anything that's going to get you fired. Just being yourself, just doing the things that Christ would have you, you do like one very, very simple thing I do is every year I write every single kid that I have a personalized note, like, like handwrite it with their name, 
basically pointing out something that I really appreciated about them in my class, even for the little nuggets that I cannot stand, um, you just write something positive to them. And that has like, that has made a world of difference. And I think that's something that Christ calls us to go that extra mile. Right. And, and, and I love that you, you really meant, you know, you, you honed in on, you're just being you. the, you know, Christianity or like your faith or your job or your, you know, your relationship status, whatever that is, it, it's, it's all unique to who you are, Amber, as the, the, the whole embodiment. And I love that you bring the, that element regardless of, you know, into the public school, but yet you're confident in knowing your identity, that where it's found and where it lives and you don't put a mask on it. You don't pretend to be something different. And, and I commend you on that because there's many, many individuals that are, that are, you know, maybe on the fence because I've, again, I'm pulling from my own personal experience where I felt like I had to wear different masks for different things because I was afraid to show different pieces of me because I didn't know how it would be received. I didn't know how it would be perceived. And I didn't know how it would just be accepted into the, uh, you know, the place or the the situation that I'm in. And I love that you, you at 26 years old, and I'm sure, yeah, you know, well before 26, you already had that strong confidence in who you are. And you didn't, you, you brought this in and said, take it, take it as, you know, for who I am, I'm coming from a Christian or a private school to a public school and I am a Christian woman. So there'll be pieces of me that bleed into this as just as, you know, pieces of my, my belief system elsewhere outside of my faith will bleed into what I do because it makes up all of me. And I love that you, you do that. And so now you're working with, uh, what 15 ish years old, 15, 16 years old in the 10th grade. Um, and so that is typically your gen generation Z and millennials, right? So I'm curious yeah. to know why, why, uh, why are generation Z and millennials more likely to face mental health issues than any other generation? Cause I know that this is your, your expertise and you're right there in the field. So you have a firsthand take on everything here. This is definitely my wheelhouse. I love I love talking about mental health and I love talking about that generation. Specifically, I love that age because it's a very impressionable time. It's where I really struggled and it's where my personal story and struggles began. And so I think that when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, I like to tell people that I was the minority. So I think that when I was going through anxiety, depression, my crazy family, all of this mental health chaos, nobody else really would verbalize that they were going through that. Like it felt like nobody talked about mental health. It just, it was something that you didn't mention. It was taboo. And so today as an educator teaching that age and that grade, um, every year I assign like a personal memoir where I actually get to, to know them. And it's every other single paper and student is, I cut myself. I have an eating disorder. My parents got a divorce. I have anxiety. I have depression. My dad committed suicide, like just every single student. And so I went from the minority to now it's the majority. And it's like, why in the world is this happening? And really, obviously, I think we can say that mental health issues have been around for decades. We think about things like the Holocaust, the Russian revolution, um, the the Great Depression, World War II. And then recently you think about like COVID-19, there's earthquakes, there's people stabbing each other, mass shootings. 
large scale world events. And it really boils down to that, that age group, the adolescents do not know how to cope appropriately. It's evident that all those things, anxiety, depression, OCD are like worldwide, number one, number two problems. Um, But this is the first time in the world where we've gone from a place of, you know, everyone's connected and everyone's in everyone's business to really they're left isolated. They're confused. They're alone. It's a very technology obsessed world, especially for that age when they had to go on school, like online or, you know, COVID. Um, But that really just left them drained. Like now they're, they're lonely. They have problems. They missed a year of school. They don't know how to cope with anything. I think it boils down to a lot of different factors, but personally, I think they don't know how to cope and they feel very stuck. Right. And it's, it's a, it's very dark in, in this season that we're in. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, having, having individuals such as yourself and, and we're seeing more of, of a mental health awareness uh, movement that is happening, which helps break down some of the stigma and taboo. And it's opening the, the door more or less for conversations. And, you know, when we start showing up and it, and it's not like, you know, we're just dumping our, our, our problems, but yet it becomes a place where you can feel safe and secure to actually discuss the the issues at hand. And it's not like you said, you were somewhat of the minority because you were open about those, those uh, issues that you were struggling with, the things that you had to overcome. And for those who haven't actually experienced that or almost given themselves permission, whether themselves or, or by society to openly embrace that and knowing that they're not alone, knowing that their degree of anxiety may be something similar to yours or different. Like not everyone has the same, even though we can say, oh, well, that individual has anxiety. That one has OCD. That one has, everyone has a different spectrum of it because it's all related to that individual's unique experience to what triggers and re-traumatizes those issues that are recurring. And so having that, that openness and that space where, you know, now we're seeing more of it in this collective online space where we have uh, so many different mental health um, advisors and counselors, a couple examples would be like better, better health and uh, talk space. I believe those are the ones. And so we'll, we'll link a few of those references in our show notes as well, but, you know, having somebody out there is, is is better than having nobody. And I remember even, I mean, we, we have a different age gap between your 26 and, and, and where I'm at. And, uh, you know, we grew up in different generations and, uh, very much was similar to, to my upbringing as it was for yours. And I'm, you know, just curious to see where this generation Z and millennials will then have their baseline of what is acceptable for the next generation and the next generation to come. You know, for me, it was, we, we didn't talk about anything. I mean, you weren't even allowed to show emotion or um, talk about things because really there weren't even words to articulate. It's almost like, you know, when you, when you're maybe learning a new language or you're speaking to somebody who, who speaks a different language and they say, uh, I don't know if this is, if, if there's a word for that in your language, right? So, and you're kind of wondering like, well, how do you not have a word for that? It literally is what you can, exp- or, or what it feels like trying to explain mental health in the issues at hand when you don't have words, but yet you're crying out for help, but yet they're not 
picking up what you're putting down. And then because it's not coming out and you're not getting the help and you're not getting the support and you don't even have the words to articulate it, it seeps out of you in different areas. And that's where we start seeing the the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the hatred, the self-loathing, the, the self, you know, sabotaging. And it comes out in these mass mass shootings and stabbings and worldwide because it's almost like this cry for help that we need to be really in tune to this. And it's not necessarily pointing fingers and blame, but it's really addressing the issue at hand is that we we as a, a, a world, this isn't even just a, a US thing, and it's not just a, a cultural thing here, it's worldwide. That is a, a pandemic that our individuals worldwide are struggling. We're struggling to articulate, we're struggling to battle the inner, inner things that are happening and how if we're not getting a grasp on that, it comes out externally. And so it, it never is the external, it's what's happening inside that we really have to address and you know, bring awareness to. And so that kind of leads me to one of my other questions for you with, with your students or just in the, the younger generation, what other dimensions would you say are impacting uh, the mental health of these individuals? Do you foresee this as getting better or worse as a, as a, as a, you know, a grand, grand scheme of things, right? The wholeness of it. Do you see that we're on a trajectory for improvement or where do you, where do you kind of see us at? I believe that there are multiple dimensions that can impact your mental health. I strongly do not like when people say that, well, you know, like that, that's just the, that, you know, that's just their anxiety. They're just mental. They're just whatever. And it's like, there's so many different factors that influence what we go through. And especially as a teacher, seeing that in your student, there is never a reason that a student is just going to show up in my room and like throw their stuff and put their head down. It's like, no, like you have to learn to see behind, like what is actually going on. I feel that we are in a better place than we were decades ago from my research that we are at least talking about it. I know when I was 14, like I really didn't talk about it. I uh, because I was the minority, I think I felt very shut down, like, oh, well, nobody else is doing this. Like, okay. Like, and that's really why I didn't get better was because I, I didn't express that to anyone. I, I kept it under lock and key. So I think that we have gotten better at being more open and sharing. Um, but it's really not until we realize that it's so many different factors, um, and that we also find our source of help, um, in, in multiple places. This is not a one size fits all band-aid to fix everything. So for the different dimensions, you could find five to 10 to a billion based on how you search it. But in my book and in my research specifically, I've narrowed it down to six of them. So I would say the most important facets, and this is, you can analyze them in whatever order, but first it begins with your thoughts. So that's a lot about what you take in and your CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, then you go to your emotions. So it's like, how did what I think make me feel? How did I respond to that? Those are two separate things that people don't usually realize are separate, but they are. Uh, from there, you usually get the physical. So your physical health, um, is it functioning optimally? Do you have health issues? Are you sleeping? Are you not eating enough? Are you eating too much? Um, are you exercising? From there, you go to your relationships. So it's all about all right, who am I working with? Who are my peers? Who do I live with? 
you then get to your environment. And by environment, I mean your personal environment, not just, oh, I live on Kingston Street in Ontario. Like it's it's not just a place. It's not just where your house is in proximity. It's the people you surround yourself with as well as the culture. Um, and then it's finally your, your spiritual health and your spiritual life. I could tell you to fix all those areas, but if you tell me that you don't go to church, you don't have a relationship with God, you don't read your Bible. Um, I think that there's this big divide of people who, who think those are the only things that are going to fix you. And I think that that's while Jesus does have the power to heal people like this or to take it away. Um, that's a really big misconception. I, I am a Christian and I still have anxiety. I still pray. I read my Bible. Um, but just doing that alone, like that's, that's not going to fix me. And that's why all six dimensions are highly, highly important. You have to seek that relationship with God, but God has given me the CBT. God has given me the counselors and the, um, ability to see these are relationships I need to engage in or relationships. I don't. Right. I, I love that. I love that you brought in, you know, six, six different facets of that and really how each one indirectly and directly plays off of each other where, you know, when you're feeling a little bit of an imbalance in, in one of those and you can, it, it can almost exacerbate your, um, for example, say anxiety. And so when that feels like it's heightened and out of control, you know, your, your emotional state becomes erratic and your physical, you start, you know, sweating or, or pacing or just heart racing. Like it, there's all these different pieces and components that, that, you know, play off of each other. And so when we are able to recognize that we can, you know, slow the process down or nip it before it can get out of control. Um, and so again, just trying to, to curb that versus, you know, directly stop it from happening because I, I truly don't believe that we'll ever stop that from happening because one, our, our bodies are just reactive to what had once been triggered or traumatized. Um, and so I, you'll probably hear me say this many times in many of these uh, podcasts and I, uh, episodes, but I highly recommend reading The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and that's such a great book because it, it really talks at great length about how different situations, traumatic or, or, you know, what we might consider, oh, it's just, you know, just brushing it off. We don't realize what our body is actually, our brain is recording, our body is processing it, and then it reacts to whatever that, uh, you know, situation is because we have, you know, in, in our stressors, our, our fight or flight, right? We fight or flight or freeze or, or fawn, you know, there's different versions of it, but how our body reacts to the certain, um, elements and, and environmental and the triggers and all the things that have happened to us. So it's not just, you could say, oh, well, that didn't bother me. Well, if your body is responding in a certain way, like sweaty pits and clammy hands, you might not think it bothered you, but yet your body knew it did. So you have to almost like you can't go all the way back in your brain and, and pick out exactly what it was that triggered it. But pay attention to that cue because you might not be aware of it, but yet something happened that triggered your body to respond and react in that certain way. So I, I love that you brought that up because again, taking note of those, those six key points. And if you just want to repeat those six key points real quick, and uh, I hop on to my next question, cause it kind of parlays off of that. Absolutely. And I just have to say that I love, I just love your take on that. And I will have to add that book to my reading list because it sounds like it'd be really good just to read, but for my research, um, 
And to answer your question, the six were, so you kind of like how I remember it is I just think about the body, like when you were in health class and it was awful and you had to label. <laughs> the body. Um, so I think about, you start with your brain, which is your thoughts. Um, from that, you get your emotions. Then you have the body as a whole, which is your physical health. From there, you get your relationships, your environment, and then your spiritual health. Yes. Awesome. So that, I mean, that, and it totally makes sense because they all connect off of each other. It's kind of like that song, you know, what is it? Your, your knee bones connected to your eye bone or something like that, but how all the parts are one and without one, there can't be another. And so it's this cohesiveness that, you know, the elements are together. So always being aware and knowing yourself in and out is, is so key. And of course, you're never going to know the intricacies of, of this, this being that you are to that great length, but at least that becomes a part of your uh, daily routine to really know oneself, right? You, you pick up these habits and behaviors and all the thoughts that go back to the beginning that led to where you're at right now. So I'm, I'm curious to know also, what is your personal environment and the effects? So how, how do you bring that into your own life? For the definition of personal environment, like I said, most people, when they think of environment, they picture okay, this is biology. It's like where I'm at on the little U.S. states map. But really, it's your environment is so much more than that. It is the, again, the place that you are. So like the actual house that you live in your community, but it's also the people that you interact with. So as a adolescent, it could be your friends, your actual family, the peers that you go to school with. Um, as an adult, it's your coworkers. It's anyone else you might have some type of relationship with. And from there, I would say that that's one of the like most overlooked and misunderstood categories, personal environment, as well as physical health are, but personal environment is, is more so worse primarily because you don't really think about your home, not being a haven. You don't think about your home, not being a safe place. Like when I was growing up, I saw a lot of pretty horrific things. I grew up in like a partial Christian, like it was a Christian home, but I had two half siblings that were in and out of my home all the time. And so I would see them shoot heroin up their arm and die and come back to life. I was a victim of a ton of verbal abuse and had a lot of alcoholics in the family that some of them died, um, a lot of drug abuse. And when my dad got disabled, he also picked up some of those traits of becoming verbally abusive and just not the best circumstance to hear your parents fighting all the time. And so at, at that time I was 14 and I'm like, all right, well, everybody else must go through it. Or like, you know, somebody like I was always raised with like, somebody has it worse than you like have gratitude and be thankful, which is important <laughs> to have gratitude and be thankful. Um, but I think why that becomes most overlooked or misunderstood is because having that belief and having that view of like, well, somebody else has it worse or like, um, yeah, it's my home. Like it's, it's a safe place. Like you don't think about the damage until it's already done. And so I had never talked to anybody really. I mean, other than like my grandparents and didn't get counseling, didn't get professional help really until like I got to the end of my college years. And that's when I started to realize basically what you said in that book that okay, like my body and my brain and my emotions and my everything are now like collapsing because I experienced such trauma and I didn't, I didn't deal with it. And really that's the sad thing about these, these adolescents that I teach and that I see is like, 
they almost already know an inkling that something is wrong. Like my parents got a divorce, you know, uh, my parents are screaming all the time. My mom didn't want me cause she was on drugs. Like they realize that something is wrong and that's why they're, they're the ones really suffering because they have that anxiety, depression label, like, like this, like I didn't have that when I was 14. I just didn't know what was going on. Um, but it is a major problem in society. Yeah. And, and I, and I like that you actually just brought that up about, you know, the, the having that attitude, I mean, attitude of gratitude is it'll take you very far, but when it's almost like for that situation, say like what you're going through and you could say, Oh, but somebody else has it better off than me. I had experienced the same thing where, where I had that, well, somebody else had it, had it worse than me. So it almost placates it and it minimizes your experience. And, And I don't think that is the correct statement to say to anybody going through something. You can have an attitude of gratitude and be like, you know, I'm grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful I'm, I'm surviving this and that, you know, I can live to live another day and give back and all the goodness that can come out of it. But when when somebody, you know, whether you're telling yourself that or you hear it from somebody else, it almost just seems so toxic. Like uh, I, I can't even think of the word I'm looking for, almost like manipulative or like the word of gaslighting or something like that, where it just minimizes you. It's almost like yeah, just be quiet. It doesn't matter. I'm not here to to learn about it. And I don't want to hear about it because I got my own troubles and just sit, sit down and be quiet. And you know what? And, and, and I actually, you know, as a, as a young adult, um, when I was probably around 18 to 20, when I started to, to somewhat whisper out what I had gone through, because I didn't have a voice strong enough to feel confident that I could speak about the things that had happened to me. But I, 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 I heard that as well. Well, you know, who cares? You know, somebody else has it worse than you. Oh, you, this happened to you. Well, did you hear about so-and-so? And it just makes you feel so small and so in, insignificant and it just diminishes your value and worth. And then it just shrinks you as to like, then why am I complaining about all the things that are hard? Let me just toughen up my skin and, and put on a brave face and pretend that it didn't happen. So I don't feel like, you know, so stupid for speaking out about something that somebody else has it worse off. Right. It just minimized you. And, and that, what, what you had said, I can totally relate to. And I think it kind of triggers me right now. I'm a little bit, a little bit fired up because I needed to somebody that I needed me back then to say, Hey, I get it. And you know what? That's a really crappy situation that you had to go through. And you know what? I want to be there to support you any way I can not get over it. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for anyone listening, if, if you've experienced that, truly know that whatever happened is not your fault. And, you know, it's, you know, all the things that we can do in our life, we have to extend grace to ourselves and forgive ourselves for beating ourselves up for situations that, you know, as young kids, we, it's beyond our control, right? We're not asked to be brought into this world or into the environment or our upbringing, which has really shaped us into who we are. I do believe that that's all part of our, our healing journey that is unique to each individual. And that's why bringing on, on guests such as Amber to talk about this, because it helps strip down some of the um, stigma and the labels and the taboo and and all the the scrutiny that comes behind you know admitting when there's things that are just unsettled and things that we're struggling with and going through that it doesn't make your situation any less than and it doesn't make you any less than so i just want to thank you for for bringing up that point and kind of directing the conversation a little bit this way um so i i i am curious to know also um what are some of your 
go to or or ways that you empower uh you know young young adolescents to um encourage them to overcome some of the situations. So I'm curious to know what were some of the coping mechanisms that you utilize that you now um, help support uh, the, the youth of today? So I think that that is something that there's never a one size fits all bandaid. <laughs> so whoever is listening, please know that like you might try some of these and you're like, nope, doesn't work for me. And like, that's totally okay. Like I said, when I was 14, I didn't have I didn't have somebody saying, you know, I mean, my grandparents were a wonderful source that were always like validating. And I'm so sorry you're going through that. I spent a lot of time at their house and I think that's how I got <laughs> some of my sanity. Um, but I believe that like my top three things that I would tell people, the first thing is to, uh, as an adolescent, like I would tell adolescents this, and I would tell somebody my age or your age, this really anybody. The first thing is, especially for mental health and for like a, an environment specifically that's, um, use the word toxic. Another word for like personal environment is like a slow poison. It's something like, Oh, like you're slowly like drinking it in and you don't realize the effect it's going to have. So the first thing I would say is to set boundaries. I believe that we are called to love all people, <laughs> even the difficult ones that treat you like crap or don't deserve that type of love because living in a motto of like Christ that I didn't deserve his love when he died for me. And so the first thing is to really set boundaries and by uh, setting boundaries, you're actually able to love people better. So for myself, my dad, like I mentioned, got disabled when I was 14. And so that really has turned him into a person that I know, like he's not acting as the person that I knew him uh, as prior to that. And so because of all the medications and illnesses that he goes through, he is extremely verbally abusive. And I would often be puzzled, like, how do I show him love when I, when he's hurting me? And, um, that distance was really something that I learned that, okay, like, yep, I can tell he is in a mood today. Like I'm going to go to mommy Mo's house. That's what I call my grandma. And I just distance myself. I stay there for a few hours and come back in a few hours when I think that it's calmed down. And with my siblings, you know, they would always ask me for money. Like, oh, Amber, I broke down. Can you come give me this money? And, you know, I knew it was for drugs. I knew it was for whatever. And instead like, nope, like, sorry, I'm not going to come, but like, I'll pray for you. And like, I love you. And I'm here if you need to talk, but I'm not going to give you anything monetary. So boundaries is definitely creating that safe space away from someone or that something. Um, I think the second thing is probably my, my top thing is that you have to reach out. And when I say reach out, it, that can be challenging depending on what age you're on, like age. Um, but if you're in a high school or college, you can find free and low cost sources. Usually at a high school or college, they have counseling available. And then as an adult, if you have an insurance, um, they have counseling, or you can even find like free free counseling online for people that don't have money or anything um, to be able to pour into it because counseling can be expensive. So I would say I recommend counseling, but beyond counseling, you need to be vulnerable and talk to people that you trust. Like, please don't go just like share your story with Mojo down the road because they might give you that response that makes you feel like they don't care, makes you feel unimportant. Um, and like, I know for myself when I struggled, I always tell my fiance that it's such 
it's such a, a, a deception tool that Satan uses is, okay, well, if I can keep you alone and shut your mouth, then you're going to suffer and you're going to think that there's no hope for, for you to get better. And especially at the height of my struggles, um, I remember telling my fiance that uh, my, my door was always shut and my light was always off. And that was when I struggled with the eating disorder. That was when I had anxiety, depression, everything. And it's funny because you think about darkness and, and it thrives in the, in the dark, evil, evil thrives in the dark places. And it's not until you open the door and you let the light in that really any healing comes out of it. And that's what being vulnerable with people you trust, counselors you trust, and ultimately telling God all of those things that you tell the counselor and you tell the best friend, because I think a lot of us as Christians or people that have faith, they kind of get this facade of here's my makeup one. Here's my pretty little picture. Here's my ducks are in a row. And like, God is, God is sitting there like, no, like take the makeup off, like break the mirror, show me, get angry. Like, tell me what's actually um, on, on your heart and in your mind. So I think that you set boundaries, you reach out to people and then ultimately seek God's truth and remember who he is. It doesn't minimize what you're going through. You tell God exactly your crap situation and how you feel. Um, you have to acknowledge that this is a process. Your trauma is not going to heal overnight, unfortunately, um, but that there is hope. And that's really what like the book of Romans is all about is that like, despite all the things that we're going through that we already have victory in Christ. It may not be right here, right now in the minute we want it. Um, but we do have that hope to look forward to. Yes, absolutely. And that, it, that's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And just knowing that, you know, when, when we can turn our, our struggles and strifes over to our creator, and we mustn't forget that he is also our comforter and our counselor. And he is there to, you know, when you feel alone, you're never alone in the physical. It might look like, oh, but nobody's here. So nobody cares when you cry out and pour out your heart. Believe me, things move, things change. And there's a relief inside of you to know that you have just released that and, and it didn't go unheard. You know, maybe, maybe again, you know, like not having an actual human being standing there to, to be there to comfort and console you. That's the relationship that you have with your creator. And that's the relationship you have in the, in the Christian faith. Um, and so I, I feel like that's a really great way to kind of wrap up today's conversation. Um, I am curious to know how it, those listening can learn more about you and your upcoming projects and uh, all the, the great works that you're doing. So how can uh, people get in touch with you and, and follow along on your journey? Thank you for asking. Yeah, I would love to have people ask me questions or um, find me on the internet. Um, so I always laugh because if you type my name, Amber, and then my last name is Ginter, G-I-N-T-E-R, into the internet, like 5,000 things will pop up because I'm just everywhere, I guess. Um, but the, the best way to find me is, so you can follow me on like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. It's just my name, like A- and then G-I-N-T-E-R 1996. Um, but I also have a website and it's literally amberginter.com. Um, and there's like a contact form and it also lists all my social information on there and people can um, ask me questions and all that kind of stuff as well. 
Awesome. All right. Well, be sure to check the show notes for all that information. And of course, the resources that we did mention in today's episode. So thank you again, Amber, for being here and just sharing your your light and your wisdom with those that need more of love and light into this world. And and for those who may or may not know of of Christ or, or of what the Christian faith is. Um, I encourage anyone to either reach out to myself or Amber, and uh, we will definitely be uh, open to to hearing from you and just being supportive and along your journey as we all navigate this this life the best we can with what we know and, and having that support of one another. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It was great to talk with you. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening.